Every so often I stop and ask myself, what am I trying to do here? What is the point of all of this? And a while back, it dawned on me, I'm trying to redefine the stepmom experience. I want to redefine how stepmoms approach stepmotherhood, how they feel about stepmotherhood, how society views stepmoms, how we approach step family life. I want to redefine the whole thing, which is why I named my new coaching program, Redefine Stepmotherhood. Consider this program, Kick-Ass Stepmom 101. Think about this. What would it be like to feel more confident in your role as a stepmom? To have the tools to improve relationships and minimize conflict and feel less triggered about things that are outside of your control? What if you felt confident in your role with your stepkids and your partner and even the ex? This program is for stepmoms who are struggling to find their place, who are triggered by the ex, who feel like they have no control, like resentment is creeping in, or deep down they know that things shouldn't feel this hard. The results? You'll feel more confident and secure about your role as a wife and a stepmom. You'll create healthy relationships, even with those who don't want a healthy relationship with you. You will stop with the ex-wife-stepmom pissing match. You are so done with the competition. You'll stop dwelling on things you don't have control over. You'll improve the vibe of your home and create a safe and healthy space for you and your family. You'll set boundaries and disengage in a way that facilitates connection and improves relationships. You will redefine your stepmom experience. Now, the program starts May 15th and won't be run again until 2024. So if you want to get access to my framework that has helped thousands of stepmoms redefine their stepmom experience, join while the card is open. Head to jamiescrimger.com forward slash mastermind to join. And if you are a member of the Kick-Ass Stepmom community, don't forget to use your discount code for 20% off. That's www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash mastermind. What's the most common thing that you see co-parents fighting over? Oh, what's the most common thing I see co-parents fighting over? I mean, in these cases, I, they fight over just about everything and anything. Whether or not the sky is blue, you'll see certain uh, couples <laughs> fight over. But I think it probably comes down to money. That would be probably the thing. And even sometimes the custodial arguments or the arguments for more time or the arguments you know, in court that I should have sole custody or I should be the primary parent, a lot of it is really based in a money thing at its core. And it really shouldn't be. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Today, we're talking about the child support system, dating after divorce, what to do if your kids don't want to go to the other parents, and a bunch of legal matters. My guest is Dennis Arvertrano Jr. He is a partner and owner of the law office of Dennis Arvertrano, which focuses on divorce and family law matters. Dennis shares his over 20 years of experience in the field with his 300,000 plus followers on TikTok, as well as Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. His videos are straight to the point, and I am here for it. He offers tips and insights into divorce, child support, and other family law matters, as well as relationship advice. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Let's dive in. 
All right, Dennis. So one thing I'm dying to talk to you about is the child support system. Oh, my God. We're going right in there. Yeah. Wow. Diving right in. I will tell you this. I get so much feedback, so many comments. I mean, people go wild for my child support related posts on TikTok or on Instagram because I do a whole host of videos on that. So yeah, I'm very opinionated about that. Yeah. Well, why don't you give me your thoughts on the current child support system? I think it's a mess. (laughs) I think it's a mess. So I did a post just recently and it discussed basically... The child support system in New York State, and I can't speak to any other state, but I know the child support system in New York State very well. It's based on the Child Support Standards Act that was passed around 1990. So I always wonder, here we are, 2023, what are we doing working through this antiquated statute that really we know is in desperate need of repair? And another piece of it for me is, I love what I do. I love handling these cases. I love helping people. But the one place I really don't want to go to, if I can avoid it, is child support court because it's so edgy and gritty and they don't have the time or the patience or the resources to deal with these cases and the way they need to be dealt with. And you know, the statute is in desperate need of repair. The judges probably need more training. They need more time and resources to deal with the cases appropriately. And we just don't have it. So what's the system like in New York? Because I, I am for, obviously familiar with Ontario, right? So we have there's obviously going to be different areas. Right. Um, but I think some of the issues are common. Yeah, I think what we're, I mean, when I do consultations with clients, I basically explain, look, if the child is with you more than 50% of the time, and this is, again, this is these are broad topics, right? With you more than 50% of the time, you would be considered the custodial parent, and therefore you'd be entitled to child support. So when they do the child support calculation, it's income from all sources, they take out only FICA. They do the two incomes. They apply the percentage to it and it spits out a number and pretty much that's what it is. There are things called administrative add-ons and administrative add-ins. So administrative add-ons are discretionary or are automatic. Administrative add-ins are discretionary and those are usually added on top. But what it doesn't do for me is it doesn't say this is a specific child with a specific family raised in a particular way. How do we tailor the child support so that it's fair to the custodial parent and the non-custodial parent while at the same time viewing it through the child's eyes? And we don't ever really take a look at that. We don't ever really consider that. Is that well, here's your income. Let, let's see your W-2. Let's, let's calculate the mm-hmm. numbers. Here's what it is. Okay, that's just a bank. Come back. Talk about abrupt. It's really that abrupt when you go into court for a child support case. It's, it's disheartening. Now, you were talking about these extra expenses. So what are those expenses for you guys? Well, a lot of times what we'll see is, so you get the basics. So you get the pro rata shares of health insurance. You'll get the pro rata shares of uncovered medical, daycare for work, you know, your co-pays, what have you. Those are automatics on top of the basic child support calculation. And then the things like private school or extracurricular activities or what have you, those are discretionary. And many times those can dwarf what the basic child support obligation is. I mean, we've had cases where, you know, okay, there's the pool club, there's hockey camp, you know, and even when you have a child that has special needs, you have all of these things on top of the basic child support that need to be parsed out. And typically it's parsed out pro rata based on incomes. Now I get a lot of stepmoms come to me and they're just rattled because they're like, we have the kids 50% of the time and we're still paying child support. Right. And actually, I think we have different viewpoints on this because you think if it's 50% of the time, it should be not, there be, should be no child support. Um, my core position on this area of law is we need to take more time with it and we need to tailor it to specific circumstances. 
There are certain okay. cases where, yes, if it's 50-50, there should be no child support changing hands. If you have a situation where one person makes 125 and the other person makes 90 and they're providing for the care and the needs of the child or a situation where say, hey, I don't need that to help me pay my mortgage or my rent. But, you know, guess what? The child has a lot of extracurricular activities. They have a lot of special needs. Let's split those things. And if we're evening it out, there's a way to make it fair. You know, cases that we've resolved lately, we've tried to just like offset it. Like, what would your obligation be? What would the parent, other parent's obligation be? And then just do the offset rather than just the straight calculation. Yeah, for sure. I got that. And it's just so, I think it's so hard for some step parents who aren't, haven't been in the courtroom, who haven't had the conversations to full, like, fully understand yeah. what is going on and, and why this money is transferring hands. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that a lot of people are struggling with is when the child support doesn't seem to be going towards the kids. Yeah. So the child support is being given every single month, but then, you know, you're getting invoiced for everything that the kid needs. It's like, well, what is the child support for? Right. And I think that's where everyone gets frustrated, but there's a reason behind that. I'm not totally sure the reason, but it, it's a really hard situation. I think there are two different things. So I'll give you two different examples. I mean, one is remember child support is for food, clothing, and shelter. So if a portion of whatever you're paying for your rent or your mortgage or what have you is, you know, a portion of the child support is going for that, then that's really where it should be going. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's understood to be. But in a situation where, you know, you're paying max child support and then you're getting a call from the other parent saying, hey, you know, well, you know, your, your son or your daughter wants new sneakers or wants like, you know, again, clothing. And you're saying, well, unless you're going to buy it, I'm not going to pay for it. It's kind of like, you know, you're kind of thinking to yourself, but wait a second, isn't that what I'm already paying for? So some of the things, food, clothing, and shelter, that's what child support is supposed to, is intended for. But if you find that you're paying the child support and you're still getting asked for, hey, but we need lunch money. Hey, but we need like, you're like, but I'm already paying. Like, like why I am know. I paying more? Or you're having the child come to you even worse yet and say, you know, mommy said if you want, or daddy said if you, if you want me to have these sneakers that you'll buy them. Yeah, it's hard too because say you go to court to fight this and put some you know stipulations in in place. Well, you're paying. Well, I know what lawyers cost here. Like you know, you're paying thousands of dollars for at the end of the day. Is it worth the fight? But then it's the principal, and it's just this whole. It, it becomes yeah. this whole mess. And what's the most common thing that you see co-parents fighting over? Oh, what's the most common thing I see co-parents fighting over? I mean, in these cases, I, they fight over just about everything and anything. Whether or not the sky is blue, you'll see certain uh, couples <laughs> fight over. But I think it probably comes down to money. That would be probably the thing. And even sometimes the custodial arguments or the arguments for more time or the arguments you know, in court that I should have sole custody or I should be the primary parent, a lot of it is really based in a money thing at its core. And it really shouldn't be. Yeah. I've heard you say that you think that fathers are you know, disadvantaged in the court system. It's an unfair system. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think that they are. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. If I have a guy who's making, say, you know, $350,000 a year and the other party makes $100,000 a year, I have to tell them politely, you're probably going to be obliged to pay spousal support and it's going to be X amount of dollars for X amount of years. And, and I don't feel like I have a very strong argument against that. But if I'm on the other side, I feel like I do. Why? I feel like the judges are more willing to listen to it. 
And it's more of the like, hey, he's he's making $100,000. He can pay his own bills. He doesn't need somebody to parent him or whatnot. And I think it should be fair on both sides. I mean, remember, for me, I get the CEO of X amount of company, you know, conquering the world sort of women clients and the same thing with men. So I see it really on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the, you know, the wife leaving and say, hey, he cheated on me. He makes $20,000 a year. Why should I have to pay his bills? Because I kicked ass. Which is very valid. It is very valid. But on the flip side, is it treated the same? Yeah. And in my experience, it's not. I think the intention of spousal support was so that people, if they've given up their career to be a stay-at-home parent and support the other person, if that's what they've done, and now they're kind of behind the eight ball and they need time to like catch up with their career and restore their earning capability, that's what it's supposed to be for. And if we were looking at the cases in that way, I would have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. But what it tends to be is even the people where the kids have been in school for five or 10 years now, and they're still just kind of like, you know, and you'll get the thing like, hey, I work part time, but I like my job. Well, I like having time to play more soccer and go, you know, ride my four wheeler and go for hikes and, and bike and work out and everything else. But unfortunately, I have to pay my bills. So I'm at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, must be nice. It's really interesting. I got into it one day with someone we were out for drinks with and we were talking about spousal support and they were just thought spousal support period, was ridiculous. It was just not fair. And so then I brought up our situation. So I said to them, and I think they were so shocked that I said it. I said, you can bet your ass I would begin disposal support. And they're shocked, right? And I said, well, think about it this way. So Darren and I get together and he has a big job as commission all the things. And we made the decision just because of the kids were in, had to be picked up at three 30 for hockey and extra, like how were, right. was I going to continue my job at CAS, which is child protective services working, you know, into the nights, whatever. So we decided, and that's how we run our home is. So my job always is kind of the backseat. It just kind of started as a hobby and has grown from there. But my job has been to support him so that he can work and you know, build his business, which he has. And so when I was explaining it to them, I said, you know, I I could be a management, a child protective services right now. I could have done this, this, and this, but we didn't because this is what we decided for our family. So if he decides to go screw off with someone and just, (laughs) and, you know, go live the life there, I said, you can bet your ass that I'm getting money. And it was just the funniest conversation. And I was like, yeah, okay. I get, I get your point, but no, it can definitely be abused. And it's, it's a sore spot for people. And it's funny because the circumstances that I see is uh, you have these situations where a lot of the times it tends to be the husband and the wife staying home with the kids. And the husband who are like, no, I, I want you to stay home with the kids. It's really important. This is our plan. And they're really the strong, stronger, maybe, you know, not the only voice, but the stronger voice saying, hey, I want you to stay home, be a stay at home mom. And it's kind of supporting them in doing that. And then when the divorce comes around, why should I have like... Uh, If you help create the circumstance, you have to deal with it as you find it. And you can't expect, I mean, when my clients come in and they say, hey, I want to work, I want to go, I wish I had a company, I wish I was CEO, commission, stockbroker, what have you, but I haven't been in the workforce in years. So now what am I going to go out and do? Okay, I have a degree, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to work at, you know, what have you, and I'm not going to make enough money to support a household. So in those sorts of circumstances, it does make sense in my mind to give that person an opportunity to get themselves back on their feet and kind of restore where they would have been as much as you could. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. So let's talk step parents and court. Should stepmom go to court? Ooh, that's a tough one. I had court the other day on a case, and literally there was an entourage of family members on each side. And I always feel like that's a recipe for disaster. I think I would say no, but not a not a hard no, strong no. I would suggest against it. I just feel like in those sorts of circumstances, it's really more appropriate to have the two bio parents sorting these things out. And then whatever decisions they make, if they have a new husband or wife, they should be talking to that person about it. Mm -hmm. They should be involved in the conversation, but maybe not necessarily in the lawyer's office or at court. Mm -hmm. Some stepmoms will say to me, well, my husband wants me there for for support. I think he's a big boy. Uh, I think so. T- I think so too. And I think it it sends the wrong message. I think. I think the message that needs to be sent is like, look, these are our kids together, and we'll make decisions for our kids together. Even though we don't live together anymore, we're not in love anymore, we're not married anymore. We need to be responsible parents and take care of that. And then once there's once there's one other person involved, I think it kind of invites more interlopers, let's say. And I hate to use that word. But. Well, yeah. And I, the goal is to come to an agreement, right? And it is. if you come and maybe the ex, and this is often in the higher conflict situations, the, the stepmom's like, we're going to court. I'm going with them. Well, you, you don't want to piss her off even more. Like you want to come to an agreement here. And if she feels no. triggered or she feels like her back is up because- you know, stepmom is there too, and maybe it's two against one or, you know, whatever the situation is. I think we have to remember it's not a pissing match. You're just trying to get this document signed and move forward. Right. In these cases, I'll tell you, especially the ones where you have somebody was cheated on, they'll tell me, I want him or her served at work. I want their new boyfriend present I, when you're starting the action for divorce. And I'm like, this is like the last thing you want to do. What makes these cases so difficult so complex and so expensive is that more than any other area of law, it's the law and the facts. And then it's a whole host of emotions swirling around with it. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, people are not working with professionals. They're not in counseling. They're not dealing with those issues. They're dumped on the lawyer's desk to try to figure out. We don't, I mean, that's not really our job, not our, not our area of expertise. And it's not a good use of your money because it's expensive no. to talk to a lawyer. No, 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 please. And I have a number of cases like that right now. I'm in a quandary as a lawyer because I say, okay, the client keeps calling about these simple, inane things that are not important. And I'm watching their retainer balance go down. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to get this case done for this person without asking them for another five or 10 or $20,000. And then, like, if you don't respond or you say, hey, you, you know, this is something better dealt with. Let's try to work it out together. Let's try to do a global resolution. And then you're kind of the bad guy. So I don't want to be the bad guy, but I also don't want to waste your money. So, yeah, it, it definitely it adds up your. Lawyer is not your therapist. My husband will be talking. Our, our lawyer is a talker. So Darren will be like, are we shooting the shit here or am I on the clock? He's like, no, 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 you're on the clock. He's like, because last time I had a hour conversation with you, 20 minutes were was us just like talking about our legal stuff. And then you started shooting the shit with me. And then I got a bill. <laughs> He's like, right. And it's such a tough thing because, yes, you, first off, let me start off with that is a great piece of advice, by the way. When you're in with your lawyer, make sure you're clarifying what's just personal chit chat and what's actual substantive time spent on your case. 
and try to keep the lines clear to keep your bill as low as possible. But I even have to counsel my staff because we care about the clients. So you're kind of like the conversations go, you know, sometimes beyond just the legal nuts and bolts of what you need. And then the client is getting billed for it. And I say, look, just remember, we support these clients. We do everything we can for them. We put our heart and soul into the cases. But remember, they're not your friends. You were doing a job here. So like hour-long phone conversations, 45-minute long phone conversations, try to keep those to a minimum unless they're absolutely necessary. Because the client doesn't understand 45 minutes for a phone call. They just don't. Even though the time was spent, it's just important that you just... You, know, you have to have an eye towards finances, an eye towards of what you need, and also supporting the client at the same time. Yeah, for sure. There's a lawyer that I've had on the podcast uh, locally here, and she said a couple of times, she's like, it's not a justice system, it's the legal system, which I thought was really good because sometimes it's the outcome isn't fair, right? Or doesn't mm-hmm. feel fair, right? And yep. it's really you're working within that system. And I talk a lot about in my my community looking at like how much you're spending to fight on things. Right. You know, for example, we were just almost wrapped up, you know, what we were dealing with, just so close, so close. And then we were asked for costs, like a couple thousand dollars towards costs. Our lawyer was like, absolutely not. This is insane. Like fight this 100%. Darren goes, how much is it going to cost me to fight that? Right. And, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, like, is it worth it? And there's so much about when we're dealing with this kind of stuff is like checking your ego. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you have to spin it so that they feel like they've won too. Right. And I'm not talking about our situation here. I'm talking about every situation. You know, if you want to feel like you've won, you want to go to court, feel like you lost. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this going on 23 years. Right. And I will say more frequently than ever. I will readily tell clients, if you're looking for justice by going to court on your divorce or your family law case, while the judges and the staff try their best and so do your lawyers, the likelihood that you're going to find that there is not very good. 97 plus percent of all of these cases are settled via an agreement. That's what the judges are going to want to see happen in the case. They don't want to render the ultimate decision in your matter. They want you to come up with an agreement with the other side. So why not start working towards that as soon as possible? Because, yeah, it's not, it's not the justice system. It's not at all. I talk a lot about my morning routine, but my nighttime routine is just as important. When it's off, I notice a huge difference in the quality of my sleep and how I show up the next day. So here's the deal. I love to go to bed early. When we're done dinner, I'm usually completely off of social. I often delete it off my phone so I'm not distracted and don't have that urge. I'll do some reading with Reese, putter around, light a candle, clean up the kitchen, and just set the vibe for the end of the day. When I get into my bedroom, I plug in my phone across the room because I don't want to be tempted, and I get ready for bed. When I'm done reading my book, I crawl out of bed and turn on the Newcom Deep Sleep Journey. This is what puts me to sleep. The sounds and music is just, I love it so freaking much. Newcom is such a huge part of my daily routine, and many times I use it up to twice a day. What used to be exclusively available to U.S. military, pilots, professional athletes, doctors, and cancer patients, and used to be a $6,000 FDA class three medical device, can now be yours through an app. It gives you the power to change your state, manage stress and anxiety, focus, and find your flow. 
Backed by over 33 years of clinically proven patent neuroscience, this technology is so easy to use and so powerful. At night, I use the deep sleep journey. And during the day, if I need a reset, I use one of their daytime journeys. It just helps me refocus, manage my anxiety, find my flow, relax. And really, it's just everything I need to help me show up as my best. If you want to neutralize stress, restore sleep, and reach peak performance, you have to check this out. And Newcom has given a special offer to listeners of the podcast. So just head to www.newcom.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com and use the code Jamie10 for 10% off. That's www.nucalm.com and use the code Jamie10 for 10% off. You're going to freaking love it. All right, let's talk about dating during the divorce. So not a good idea. Not a good idea. No, no. Like I said, law, facts, emotions. And emotions tends to be the bigger piece. You know, people ask me on a regular basis, why is it that we keep going back to court and fighting over custody and visitation? I said, it's the remnants of your broken relationship nine times out of 10. So mm-hmm. keep those things out of court. Like don't date, don't give them any reason to have any ax to grind with you. You want to try to just keep it to the facts, the law, your situation, and reach an agreement that's fair to you. But keep the boyfriend, girlfriend, stepmom, stepdad, try to keep them out of that situation. And in a way, it's good to shield them for that from that as well. They don't need that. No, we don't. No. <laughs> right. What would okay, I want to hear your reaction to this. So Darren did not do that. We did not do that. We were engaged before they were legally divorced. In retrospect not the smartest move, but man, when you're in love, you're, you don't think about this stuff. Right. Yeah. And then you're, everything just gets so much more complicated. Like I totally would have, we would have waited if we kind of knew how it would all, all play out. But yeah, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. But your relationship progressed pretty quickly. Right. As I recall. Oh yeah. We were just, it's so interesting, right? Cause in our minds, it didn't seem like a big deal, but we were, we started dating in March. We were, we moved in in July. I always had a great relationship with the kids we were yeah. engaged in October, married in June, pregnant in August. And then yeah. all of a sudden I came down from the whole high and realized I was a stepmom to three and a mom of one. And I didn't know what the hell just happened to my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess the, probably the best way to put it is if it's worth it and you know it's worth it, then you do what you need to do. Like I've been married to my wife, oh, 16 years. And mm-hmm. I had dated a number. I We got married later in my life, late 30s. And uh, I just knew. You know, I dated before. And I was just like, I was at the point in my life where I was like, I've dated. They've all failed. Like, the, um, all is lost. Just no expectations. Just dating whatever happened. And ours actually progressed pretty quickly as well. So I think with relationships and any advice I give on relationships, being a divorce lawyer, I say choosing wisely is the most important thing you can do and know yourself first. So if you get to a point in your life where you really know yourself well and you say, this is the person, all the boxes are being checked, all the core values are there, you know it's the right thing, then it's easy. It's easy going right into it. It's no problem. So don't just bring your honey to the soccer game for the sake of coming up with a girlfriend. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And don't yeah. even, you know, I tell people after their divorce, take some time to learn yourself, understand yourself. Some people are way ahead of the curve. They know exactly what they want out of life. They know exactly who they are, all the mistakes they've made, and they've got it sorted out. And that's great. But the extent that you don't, sort those things out, take some time, 
understand what you want out of life, and then no expectations. Just go out there and enjoy your life. Don't feel like you got to find somebody. And then when you find the right person, like the two of you did, you know, you know, you know and you just go right into it, just seamless right into it, no problem. Do you feel like men or women move on quicker in your experience? Well, let's put it this way. <laughs> I feel like men move on quicker by getting a girlfriend or getting another person there. I feel like women move on quicker in the right way. Does that make sense? Guy will be the first one to have the girlfriend or the boyfriend. They've got to have somebody they're going to be with. They're going to date. They're going to take places and this and that. And sometimes it's a function of like the reboundish effect of the broken marital relationship. If their wife divorced them, well, I got to get a new girlfriend and show her my new girlfriend sort of thing. Whereas I think the ladies are, are more introspective on average, a little bit better at looking inside and saying, hey, I've got to understand me. I've got to do for me, maybe getting some counseling involved. And they move on like, really move on in the proper way quicker because the guys will just rebound, 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 or get into like another failed relationship. That's my experience at least. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt that. Now switching gears, I want to talk about co-parenting plans or your divorce agreement, whatever, however, I think there's different titles for it. What should you make sure that you have in this? Because I'll have stepmoms who they're either just, their partner is just starting the agreement or going back and reevaluating the agreement yeah. or whatever. What do you think should be in there? My answer is always like everything, like anything that could potentially come up. But if you could give us some examples, I think that would be helpful for people. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I look at these agreements as I always explain them to clients as they're a floor. I have so many clients that do the settlement. They'll do divorce mediation with us. We've got it all sorted out. We're doing flexibility. We've got nothing in the order. No problem. Fast and loose. Everything's great. Kids are happy. You know, pick up at 4.30. We're going to the same birthday parties, coming over the house on the weekend. Then- Then you bring your honey your to the husband soccer or wife. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Your new husband or wife gets involved, new girlfriend, and everything goes south. So you want a strong floor, Right. So your basic, what's the visitation going to be? What's the holiday schedule going to be? You know, who goes to ball games, special events and activities? How does that sort out? What about leaving the country? What about going on trips? What about phone contact? I mean, they have form parenting plans online. You can just print out and just fill out. So I suggest to people print one of those and then just start taking notes on it. Think about what sort of time visualize your, your post-divorce or post-split uh, marital relationship and visualize what's a day in the life going to be, you know, and how are your kids going to be a part of that and then try to craft all the things you'd want to do with them. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean you need to follow it to the letter after you're done? No, you want to build in some flexibility. And less mutually agreed upon. Uh, right. On the bottom. <laughs> in a talent. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. But I think, again, you can't like, you have clients that will call and say, well, hey, you know, they were supposed to come for the pickup and drop off at like 4.05 and it's 4.08 and they're not here. It's like, gotta like, you know, not that you let them take you for a ride with it, but there's gotta be flexibility. There's gotta be understanding. Life does happen. There's gotta be flexibility, but a floor. Again, basic visitation and all of the things you would think you would want to do with your kids. How, how is that going to happen? Provide for that in the agreement. If you know you're going to want to travel, you know, what about the passports? What are we doing with that? Just those sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. Darren was going back and getting some things reevaluated. And we took the opportunity to even write out on Christmas Day, who's bringing the kids? So if you have the kids on Christmas, are you bringing them to their mom's house or does mom have to come pick them up? 
who's picking up the belongings at the end of the week, like things like that, that seems like they were starting to become these little tedious things that were taking more conversation than they really needed to be all came into that agreement. So my advice is always think about if you're going back and reevaluating, think about anything that you've gotten an argument about over the last however many years and figure out a plan on how do you move forward from that? Because, you know, the least amount of conflict. Yeah. I mean, I think of it like this, you know, lawyers provide for what's possible, not what's likely. So if it's likely that you're going to get along forever, great. But we're building this floor because it's possible that you don't. And if you don't, you want to have, hey, who's doing the pickup and drop off? Yeah, no, for sure. I would love to talk about the communication piece because you just mentioned that as being part of the co-parent agreement. I don't know what's going on in the world, but I have received so many messages the last couple of weeks with stepmoms struggling, like wondering if there needs to be boundaries over communication with the kid's mom while they're with their dad and, you know, respecting parenting time and that kind of thing. Is that common for people to have that in their agreement, you know, saying when you should have the phone calls and stuff? It is. In fact, I have a handful of them right now where we're dealing with, you know, when are the phone calls going to happen, you know, and they expect to have their phone calls. So it's, it's just such a difficult circumstance. You have to take into account how old the kids are, what are the ages. And obviously this agreement will evolve over time as the kids get older. So I think that it's important for parents in these situations to strike a balance. Does it need to be every single night your three-year-old is going to talk to you for exactly 25 minutes at 8 p.m.? Anybody who has kids knows that's not going to happen. But Who's going to talk to a three-year-old? <laughs> believe me, the situations that I've seen just defy logic. And you have the parent on the other side because they feel as if, you got to remember, once these situations break and you're involved in litigation, there is no trust. What the other parent says, you don't believe anything they say. If they say the child is sick, they're going to say bullshit. If they say the child just doesn't want to talk today, no, you're just trying to keep the child from me. So, you know, there's no trust there. So you have to kind of balance like, hey, you're entitled to your time. You need to insist on your time on the phone, but also understand that it's a, you know, if it's a three or a four year old, you know, maybe good night, daddy. That's all you may get. Or they may be watching SpongeBob at that time and you're not going to talk to them at all. What does that typically look like? What's normal in a in an agreement? Does it specify the time? Yeah, probably what I think you don't need to necessarily spec usually in our standard agreement, it will have reasonable and regular private telephone contact between the child and the non-custodial parent at the time, the parent they're not with. Sounds like a big fight over what reasonable means. It is. It is. Yeah. We just didn't deal with that. To me, when people will say you need to respect the other parent's parenting time, I get that 100%. Yeah. But I also think it's important to remember these are children. They're not timeshares. They're people. That's right. And if their parents were together, they would get to talk to their their other parent whenever they wanted, right? And so to have those regular phone calls shouldn't – and I know it can feel disruptive for the stepmom because the stepmom's like, oh, man, I can't, can't get away from this woman. But you, you can't get away from this woman, just so you know. Right. You actually can't. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, right. 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 So how do you find that balance? Uh, you know, what I've been using lately as an example with clients is my parents, right? So my parents see my kids pretty regularly. They love my kids and my kids adore them. Like, like I want to I take it out of like the conflict situation and just view it through the eyes of like convenience and the reality of children's lives. So they'll call my kids and certain nights we'll be eating dinner. We're like, hey, we'll call you back. And sometimes then they go to bed right away and we forget and it just doesn't happen. 
But then the next day I'll say, hey, remember, you know, Nana called you yesterday, give her a call. Or if it's her birthday, like, so you just can't view it like it's this rigid schedule that needs to happen all the time. But if you feel like you're entitled to having contact, telephone contact or email, what have you, contact with the child, and it's not happening at all, then you need to probably put your foot down. But again, you just need to remember life happens and they are children. Yeah, it's pretty rigid, right? To feel like you need to have a phone conversation for 20 minutes every day at 6 p.m. It's like, I just couldn't imagine like telling my kids they had to do that. Like, and again, I take the grandparent example, like, you know, well, you have to call Nana and pop up like tonight at, uh, you know, it's got to be eight o'clock, got to be eight o'clock. And the kids are going to be like, you know, my kids, by the way, are my daughter turns seven today and my son's eight. So I love this age because my daughter is turning nine. I think it's such a good, such a good age because they're not quite too cool for you yet. They still want to play, but then they're kind of coming into themselves. Yeah. I love this age. Yeah. I tried to give my seven-year-old daughter a kiss goodbye today at school and I basically had to wrestle her for it. So, uh, you know, starting already for me. Darren's still trying to kiss the boys. He's like, come here, give me a kiss. And he like (laughs) wrestles them down. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're... They're 16 and 18. So they're like, dad, right. I'm a man. Like I have a mustache. Yep. <laughs> Can you please stop kissing me? But yeah. And once they start getting too strong, then it's like, you know, okay. Okay. I know. All right. A couple more questions here. Yeah. Kids don't want to go to the other parent's house. How do you deal with this if there's an agreement in place? Let's make up an age. Say they're 11. I think in these sorts of circumstances, you have to try to view. Now, Let's start out by saying there's no issues you believe at the other parent's house. You don't believe there's any safety issues or there's any abuse or any reason why you would feel you're forcing a child into an unsafe circumstance. So if it's just your run-of-the-mill, kids just don't feel like it, they're just not into it that particular day, in my mind, you have to view it like you would if you were still in an intact family. So for example, if it's on the weekend and my wife has something to do and I have to go grocery shopping or what have you, you know, the kids can't just say, well, I don't want to go with dad. I'm staying with mom. No, you're going. We almost look at it like it's an out sometimes. If the child gives you an, well, they don't want to go. They don't want to see you. Like, and, and my experience being on the other side of that is if you allow a child to continue to shut out one of the parents it progressively becomes easier and easier for them to do so. It's almost like an out of sight, out of mind thing. Because as soon as they get over the other parent's house, they may say, well, it's boring there. We don't do this. And maybe have a conversation with the other parents say, hey, this is the feedback that I've gotten. But then as soon as they get over there, for the average situation, run of the mill situation, they're like, oh yeah, I like to play soccer with dad. Or like, mom, you know, mom and I make cupcakes and we do this or that, or, or, or we play sports together or we go running. And they're reminded of the reasons why they enjoy spending time with the other parent once they get there. But it's very easy. Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to mom or dad. So, so I say, look, you got to look at it from the mindset of, you know, if you were in an intact family, what would you say? If it was a day they were supposed to be with mom or dad, what would you say? You'd say, no, you're going with your mother. You're going with your father. That's what you would say. So why would it be any different because you're in a split family? Yeah. And I think there's also situations where they think that's what mom wants to hear or what dad wants to hear, right? So there is that element because I know people will be like, well, why would they say that? Like, that's not true. They have a great time while they're here. We're fine. And then they go back to their moms and say that it's super boring or they don't like my cooking or whatever it is. Right. 
they may feel like bad for their mom or they may feel like they need to please their mom by saying these things because they know that's what she likes to hear. Like there's so many contributing factors there. Right. And remember when there's no trust there, right? You don't believe what the other parent's telling you. And again, when you have those, those contentious cases, it'll be in a situation where they'll say, you know, hey, the child doesn't want to go. Like, well, but they have fun here. No, I don't know about that. You have to work from the assumption that, you know, assuming that, and and again, you kind of like, you know, rewind and say, you know, why did you marry this person in the first place? Why did you have kids with this person in the first place? And if there's no safety concerns and no reason for you to doubt them, maybe you give them the benefit of the doubt, regardless of whatever's left over from the broken relationship. Yeah, I saw one of your videos where you were talking about how the exes will go to court and they'll say all these bad things about the parent and why they they need to get full custody and like all these things. And you said, well, the judge is thinking, well, you married them. (laughs) Right. It's so bad when when you were married to them, like obviously in most most situations, but so funny. Okay. Last question here. Yeah. A lot of people will reach out to me and they, they get the lawyer's letter and maybe they had, they're just starting in the whole process. You know, when you get your initial lawyer's letter and they often have, uh, or maybe they're just served with the court documents right? and there's things that have been twisted in it, or it's not actually facts. Maybe it's completely made up or it's just manipulated and they feel attacked. They feel like the judge in the court system is going to believe this and, and and they just feel all of these emotions, right? I always try to calm them down, be like, a letter is just a letter, right? Like there's so mm-hmm. many things that have to happen. And the judge and the lawyers, like this isn't their first rodeo. They know what they're dealing with. But do you have any words of wisdom for people who, you know, are starting out this court process and they're feeling like maybe they're going to lose their kids or they're, you know, going to lose everything or it's worst case scenario, or maybe they just got a letter with what they're asking for. And it's like three times what it should be. How does this whole thing work just to give people a little bit of peace of mind? I think the first thing you should do is like, just put it aside, not even really look at it. I know that sounds silly, but I think the next thing you should do is talk to a lawyer who works in that area, who's very familiar with the area of law. And have them take a look at the documents with you because here's the things they're going to know. They're going to be familiar with the judge, the cases before. They will address the allegations set forth in the petition. They'll, well, ours is called petition. So they're going to know the other lawyer, odds are, and know what their typical approach is. They may say, oh, this lawyer always just throws in a bunch of garbage and says X and Y and Z or demands the sun, the moon and the stars, but never really gets it. And then just will be able to evaluate your situation and say, look, here's where you're at. Here's the reality. So like, it's important to make sure you don't panic before you know what's really at stake. Because what's going to happen is your, your, your mind's going to spin 100 miles an hour and, and look at the worst possible scenario. And you want to avoid the stress of doing that. You know, it's funny because I, when I have custody cases, like the first petition we may get may have these scary allegations against our client in it. And then if we reach a point during negotiations in the case early on where we look like we're making progress, sometimes I won't even file our own petition because I don't want to inflame the other side now that we're starting to get closer to an agreement. And when you put allegations in there, you need to frame them in the way that's most convincing. That's what lawyers are trained to do. They're trained to say, hey, these are the bad things we think mom or dad did that would entitle us to custody and visitation. And their worst case scenario, that's what's put in the petition or in your original court document. And you kind of have to do that. So I think sometimes it's important to just take that with a grain of salt and understand that's what they're seeking to accomplish. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you'll end up at the end of the case. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so helpful. Got to play the long game, and it's a long game. You do, you do, and and I think again, you, you know, you try to be as reasonable as you can be. You try to cut the emotions out as much as you can, and you know, make sure you have a good lawyer. And like you said, don't let them shoot the shit with you while the clock's running. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I don't want to hear so. about your freaking hockey tournament on the weekend, and then we get <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh, so good, Dennis. Where can everyone find you? You're the best. DRVetranolaw.com. Uh, we're at, at DRV Law for the TikTok and at DRV Law for the Instagram. You know, I encourage people to take advantage of the Instagram and the TikTok, especially if you're in the US, you know, you're New York. It's very useful. And even just a lot of the stuff I try to put out there is just a general mindset of how to prepare, how to get through the situation, and even prior to or post divorce, like how to find the right person. Because believe me, I've heard of everything you could think of that doesn't work. So, there are some things that do. Yeah. Do you know what I love that you just said? What's that? You said the Instagram and the TikTok. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so good. Okay. We will send everyone your way. Sounds Thank good. you so much for taking the time. Great to talk to you as always. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your stepfamily stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your stepfamily life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q&As. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.